This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. All right, welcome to RSCC. It is awesome to be with you. If this is your first time with us, we want you to know you matter, and we are so glad that you are here. You could have been anywhere today, but you have chosen to be here, and I, I think that's for a reason. And for the, if this is your hundredth time or your thousandth time, God can speak to you today. And before we get started, I want to say something. On the way out today, you will see one of these cards, and this is going to talk about our Christmas Eve service. If I know it feels like it's fallout still, but it is going to be Christmas before we know it. So we're going to have a Christmas. Eve service. We're going to do it a little different. We have not done a candlelight in my eight years of being here, so we're going to do a candlelight uh, service, but we're also going to have, do it a little differently, so come check that out. It is going to be a good time. But every year we print off these cards. They're like postcards, and we do it for a reason. We don't do it for you to take it home and put it on your fridge. You can do that, but Adam put a lot of time in decorating this and designing this. Here's what we believe in. We, we believe that we have a personal responsibility to evangelize and to invite. And and studies show that it takes up to seven invites before someone is open to coming to church for the first time. Seven times. And you don't know. You could be the first person that invites them, or you could be the fourth, or the fifth, or the, even the seventh. But we, we make these for you guys to give out, to hand out easily, so someone can say, hey, here's Christmas Eve service. Come check it out. It has the address. It has the time. Everything you need to know about is on this little piece of paper. So please take one of these on the way out. Don't throw them away in the parking lot because we will see you. And God sees you when you do that, right? So don't do it in the parking lot. But hey, Christmas Eve is going to be awesome. And we come to celebrate. And it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be awesome. You won't want to miss it. It is 4.30 on Christmas Eve. That is December 24th. But today, uh, I kind of hold off as long as I can. You guys know I'm kind of the resident Grinch. We're going to kick off our Christmas series Here's what's going to happen, is, uh, or here's what usually happens in the Christmas series. I'm not going to surprise you with any new information. Jesus is born, there's still shepherd, there's still wise men, and there's still Mary, right? So we all know that, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to think you know everything you know, uh, need to know about the Christmas story, but don't let the, it become so familiar that you let the birth of Jesus just become another event. Don't let, when something comes familiar, it oft, often loses its power or loses its, its significance. So don't l- allow that to happen this year. So we're going to have this series that we're calling the signs of Christmas. I will tell you what that means in just a moment. But I want you to think about this season. I know it, like, it's hard to think about Christmas when it's not snowing and when it's not cold out, but bear with me. Think about this time of the year and what comes to mind. Well, we're in church, so when we think of Christmas, we think of the birth of Jesus, okay? But besides Besides our Sunday school answers, what comes to mind? We think of lights. How many of you have had Christmas up, Christmas lights up before Thanksgiving? Anybody? Some of you? How about now you have Christmas lights up? Anybody? All right. Some of your guys' house looks really good. My house? No lights. Maybe next year, not this year, right? But we think of lights and we think of presents and we think of gifts and we think of, uh, what else? We think of Christmas trees. We think of songs. I think of Justin Bieber mistletoe song, right? So you think about all these things and there's so much that comes to mind with Christmas. But in the last eight years since I've been here, something has come to mind, and it's a weird. It's actually signs. 
right? And the reason signs come to mind is because every, after every Christmas Eve service, we, Whitney and I hop in our car and we drive to a small town in Illinois called Hershey, Illinois, about five hours north of here. And we drive there. And on that trip, there are lots of signs. I see lots of road signs, right? And, and so you look at the road signs and you look at construction signs. If you've been up by Indianapolis lately, all type of construction. So you look at construction signs. The most important signs are the food signs. Um, I don't know if you know this, but if you travel on Christmas Eve, a lot of places are closed, right? Last year, we tried to eat at Taco Bell. They no longer had beef. How does Taco Bell run out of beef? I don't know, but it happens on Christmas Eve. So you got to find who's open. You got to find the Starbucks. You got to find, you got to look at all these signs. Signs are important. And then when you think about your life, signs are important. So I went to Google this week and I was like, I want to find real life funny signs. So these were, are what we found. This one, caution, water on road during rain, right? That, that needs to be said. So I like that sign. It's in Australia. Apparently, they, they didn't know that. This was during quarantine. It says, my husband is for sale. So if you're single and you're looking for a husband, call this lady up. I don't know where she lives, but call her up. There's this sign. So down south, they, they love Jesus. And right behind Jesus is what? College football. So this church sign in Alabama says, if you don't love Jesus and root for Bama, you'll all, you'll all burn, right? That's, that's kind of funny. That's cl clever, right? I like that sign. And then this sign, for some people, they need warning signs, right? There's people out there eating Tide Pods, so they have to create warning signs. This says, warning, for best results, remove the cap, right? So if you did not know that, for string cheese or easy cheese, that stuff is nasty, by the way, but easy cheese, remove the cap. But also, if you think about your life, here's the billboard that kind of relates to most of our lives. We're looking for a sign. Many people are going throughout life, and we look for a sign, and we look for a sign of who to date. Uh, God, send me, or who to marry. Hey, God, you know, send that perfect man or that perfect girl, like, you know, send them in my life, and that's the sign I should marry them. Looking for signs who I should date, where I should live, what job I should take. We're constantly saying, God, can you send me a sign? Well, about 2,000 plus years ago, the world was much similar to this. No technology, but it had the same feeling of looking and searching for signs. And throughout the Old Testament, God had been working and working this redemptive plan and saying, one day there will be out of Israel, there will be a sign that a Savior will be born. And God said there will be multiple signs that you will see that will prove this prophecy, as we call it in the Old Testament. These prophecies would be correct, and I'm going to give you signs to make sure you don't miss what was going on. So 2,000 years ago, throughout Scripture and how the Bible all connects, God was giving us signs. And God gave us signs to make sure that we don't miss what he was doing through the birth of Jesus. So God's going to, what we're going to do this season is we're going to look at different signs throughout Scripture. You can be prophecies, but we're going to do, we're going to look at them, the New Testament signs, and we're going to go back to the original prophecy and see where that sign came from. But we're going to look at signs that God gave us to make sure we're not missing what Christmas is all about. And he's like, hey, I don't want you to miss who Jesus was. So here are the signs. So if you think about the Christmas story, obviously, what is, this, what is the main plot? What is the main storyline? The main storyline basically can be summed up in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave, it's a time of giving, he gave Jesus, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that's kind of the Christmas story in a nutshell, right? You leave out Mary and Joseph and all that stuff, but it's all about God giving his son Jesus to the world. So that's the main, that's the main summary, that's the main plot, that is what's going on, so it's what we're going to be looking at. 
But there's other things going on in play here. So I want you to jump in a time machine. I want you to go 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And I want you to think about a man named Isaiah. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Isaiah. And he spoke to Israel on behalf of God. And God would tell Isaiah or give Isaiah these messages. And so 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God gave Isaiah, Isaiah some prophecy about what was to come. And here's what it says in Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, right? So you don't miss it. It'll give you a sign. And here's the sign. The virgin will conceive, Mary, and give birth to the son, Jesus, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the sign. And 700 years after this sign, there's a man, there's a gospel that we read now, and a man named Matthew. It, it talks about a savior being born by a virgin named Mary. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he writes down later in his life, he writes down the gospel that we call Matthew. And in that gospel, he, he, we have some of the, the Christmas story. And today we're going to look at a group of men that he talks about who receive a sign from God. It's not the virgin, we'll look at that. It's not Mary, we'll look at her next week. This week, we're going to look at the magi or the wise men. So here's what it says. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. There's going to be a lot, so stick with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so Jesus was the one that Isaiah prophesied about. When Jesus was born, in Bethlehem in Judah during the time of King Herod. So if you've ever read these and say, why is Matthew giving us all this information? Matthew is giving us this information so you can historically back what is going on. It's the way they wrote. So historically, it was during the, the, ring, uh, the reign of King Herod that, who, was, who was in charge, and then it was in a town called Bethlehem. So you can go back in history and look at that time period. So he, he's giving us some historical significance here. And he says, during that time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star, and that's the sign. We saw this sign, the star, when it rose and, have come, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was with him. It continues, when he had called together all the people, so Herod called together all his chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So he's like, what in the world are these magi talking about? And they said, in Bethlehem, in Judah, they replied, and they comment and they reply in prophecy. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they're quoting a prophet who's saying one day the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. So he was giving another sign. And then King Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's a lot of words, right? So that's what's going on. So he, they, he, we read about these men the Magi, or we know them as the wise men, who get this sign. The sign is a star. And this sign represents that the Savior was being born. And besides that, we don't know much else about them. And I'm going to be honest, the, the wise men or the Magi, whatever you like to call them, we, the Magi is how Matthew referred to them, I've always been a little bit fascinated with them. Anybody else, like, they just seem pretty cool. 
And here's why. Growing up, um, I went to a church much like this. Um, it was HCC instead of RSCC. But every year they did this Christmas program. It's one of those programs where you don't actually have to talk. Someone reads the, there's a narrator and then the people come out and they don't do anything. They just get to walk, right? So anybody can technically be in it, right? You don't have to have a lot of skill. You just have to be able to walk in a straight line, right? That's the skill requirement. And, and they would do it and we would tell, we'd read the Christmas story and, and do that. And I always wanted to be a magi. I always wanted to be a wise man. Like, when the wise men's time to come out, like, who doesn't like to be called a wise man? Like, that was me. That should have been my role. I was born for that role. And every year, until I could grow a beard, I got the role of a shepherd. And what the shepherd would have to do is, much like this area, there was a little closet over there, and the shepherd would have to hang out in the closet the entire time until their line was up, and they would come out, and we'd have to act like we're looking at a star, and then we're gone, right? Never see us again, right? That's a lame role. But then at the end of the ceremony, or end of the program, the magi would walk out, and they had like these awesome costumes. They'd be like orange and like blue, and they had these like weird like Aladdin-looking hats. Like it was awesome, right? Meanwhile, I'm wearing like some grandma's like, you know, sheet that she made at her house with a piece of cloth wrapped around my head, right? I always wanted to be a Magi, right? And I always begged, and I never got to be a Magi. And one day I grew a beard, and they're like, now you can be Joseph. So I never got to be a wise man. So I've always kind of liked the wise man, I'm going to be honest. But what's interesting is we don't know a lot about them. They're kind of a mystery, so let's talk about them. Well, they only appear one time in all the Gospels, and it is right here. Matthew is the only one to mention them. That's not really a surprise. He was writing to a Jewish audience. This would have been important to them, so he adds it. Other ones don't. But they're only in Matthew. And other than that, we don't know a whole lot. We don't know their name. We don't know their backstory. We don't even really know where they're from. It says they came from the east, right? We don't know exactly where from the east. We, we assume because of, uh, of prophecy. We assume because we know scripture a little bit. They came from an area called Persia, which would, where would exiles would have been. The Israelite exiles would have lived at one time. We know that on this journey that they would travel 900 to 1,000 miles. Think about that. 900 to 1,000 miles on camels, on donkeys, and on foot, right? 900 to 1,000 miles. We know, by, because we, we have to assume that they know prophecy. We have to know and assume that they were looking for a sign. And if you go back to this book in the Old Testament called Numbers uh, in chapter 24, there's this story called, uh, of, of Balaam. If you've never read that, go home and read it. It's a wild story. We don't have time to talk about it. But in Numbers chapter four, uh, 24, look at what it says. It's prophecy. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Meaning, you, you'll see a star someday, and when you find that star, that's going to be a sign to you that the Messiah is being born. So they must have known this prophecy. They must, must have known about this star, because they see this star, and, and they, they follow this star. They see it in the sky, and they're like, this is it. This is a sign. This is what we've been waiting for. And their ancestors would have been waiting for it. Their, their grandpas and their, you know, dads, everybody they, they would have known would have been waiting for this sign. And they see this sign, and what do they do? They take a journey. And what we're going to look at today is, even though this story is so familiar, the wise men teach us things about our faith today that are so important. They teach us three lessons that, it's, that we need that are crucial to our everyday faith and not just this season. And I first want to say this. I had to get it out of the way, out of the way, because like, you know, Christians were really like a uh, cliche. So we, we call these Hobby Lobby Bible verses or Hobby Lobby phrases around here. Let's get the Hobby Lobby phrase out. 
Wise men still seek him, okay? Everybody heard that? We got it out. You can't mention a wise man in church without saying wise men still seek him. All right, so let's get to lesson number one, right? Lesson number one, my way I say it is not wise men still seek him, but wise men and women, we got to add the women in here, do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Look at what Matthew wrote. He goes, magi from the east come to Jerusalem. These seven words, even though they're small, Matthew wrote seven words. I think it's in verse two or verse one. Seven little words. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. In those seven words, he, it, it describes the 900 to 1,000 mile journey they took. These little words have big implications. They one day see this star. They believe it's a sign. And they say, we are willing to risk everything we're going to travel as far as this sign takes us, this star takes us. But what if they were wrong? What if this wasn't prophecy? So just imagine how much they're risking, right? It's kind of like this. Imagine you take your family of five. You hop on a bunch of uh, camels, right? I'm looking out. Not, not many of you look like camel riders, but imagine for me, right? So you, you have your camel. You got your family of five. You stack it up. You know, you got all your, your luggage. And, and you've heard about this place called Disney World, right? And, and you're going to start taking these camels all the way to Disney World from Rising Sun, riding on the back of a camel. And on the entire trip, you're going to see billboards, right? So imagine that's like the sign, the star. And imagine you get down to Orlando, Florida, and all you see is a bunch of swamp. You don't see Disney World at all. That's what these men were risking. They're risking everything. They're like, hey, we're going to follow this sign as long as it takes. Their family would have thought they were crazy. They're like, what are you, you're doing what? You saw that star in the sky? It just looks a little brighter than normal. Like, why are you going to follow it? Like, you're going to go how far? As far as it takes. The average person at this time period did not travel more than 30 miles away from the town they were born in. I'm going to be honest. I may travel 30 miles after this service just to, go, just to go get a toasted white chocolate mocha, right? Like, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. But these men, they, they never traveled this far. They've never been this far. And they're like, we're going we're gonna to take this journey. And it's estimated, and this is where it gets crazy. It's estimated this journey took 18 to 24 months. 18 to 24 months. So that means that they weren't at the birth of Jesus. So if you have a nativity scene and the wise men are in it, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be historically accurate, if, you're, if the nativity scene is in the living room, just take the wise men to the kitchen, right? It just represents that, all right? So that, that, they're going to take this journey. And it's going to be on horseback. It's going to cost some money. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost them way more than they even imagined. And they don't know how long it's going to be. But why are they doing this? That, that becomes a question. Why are they doing this? They're doing it all for the sake of getting to Jesus. They felt that they would, what they would find would be worth the trials and the hardship. Do we pursue Jesus like that? I just want to think about that. These men, and here's what's awesome. Many scholars believe that when these men were making this journey, they weren't actually followers of God. They had just heard about it. And they were interested, right? And they're risking everything to get to Jesus. They're like, what? it's worth it. If, if, if this is true, if this is the sign, if this star is right, and it would have been bigger than that star, right? But if, if, it, if, it, if this star is right, man, it changes everything. If we're wrong, we're a laughing stock, and we just rode these camels 900 to 1,000 miles for no reason. But if we're right, and we believe we are, we believe we're right, it changes everything. 
So they take this journey and they follow the star and the star moves and they keep following this sign and, and they see it at night and they keep traveling in the direction of the star and, and they eventually get to a place called Jerusalem. And they get there and Jerusalem was important because it was the capital, it was the hub. It's, it's where if a king was going to be born, a Messiah was going to be born, it was going to be born in the capital. It was going to be born somewhere of significance. Right? So they go to Jerusalem, and they, what they do is they ride in. And, th- and this is why we assume there's more than three of these wise men. Because it says, as they rode in, King Herod and all of Jerusalem w- was you know, disturbed. They probably rode in in this big caravan, wearing funny clothes. They talked different. They acted different. And they rode in, and they go up to King Herod's palace. And they go, hey, King Herod, where is the one that they're calling King of the Jews? Where is the Messiah at? And King Herod's like, what are you talking about? I'm king. I'm the one that, I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king of this region. See, this is the moment where they could have gotten killed because King Herod's crazy, right? He, he, was, he killed his own family, history tells us. He, he will, he's the same king that kills all the baby boys under two, right? He is an evil man. And these wise men from the east come to him and say, where is the king of the Jews? Well, King Herod's a little disturbed and a little confused. So he gets the priest and the teachers of the law from his, you know, his cabinet and his group and his area. And he goes, what are they talking about? Tell me what they're talking about. And in verse 5, it says this. Right? They're like, listen, the, the Savior's going to be born in, in Judah because this is what the prophet said. Right? So they say, listen, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, the land of Judah. And, and out of Ju- in Bethlehem, basically, sh- there will become a king who will shepherd my people Israel. They're like, listen, King Herod, these wise men might be right. The, prophes- the prophecy was this, that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. So we think these men have followed the star to us but they're not quite there yet. They're not quite in Bethlehem yet. So King Herod, I think the Savior was born, is what they're saying. And I want to talk about these people right here for a second. Because I think these people may represent you and I just a little bit. These teachers of the law, what do they do? They quote scripture. They heard the same prophecy and they had the same signs these wise men did. They're in Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is just down the road. Do you know how far Bethlehem today is from Jerusalem? Depending how, what, what route you take, it's about six, from 5.9 to 6.3 miles down the road. And they knew the sign. And they knew what the sign would be. But they never went out of the way to check it out. They're in Jerusalem. Five miles down the road. Here's the Savior of the world. They know. They, they got the prophecy. They know it. Here's the Savior down the world. Of the world. Right here. Here's Jerusalem. Five miles, right? Just basically right down the road. And they never went. Meanwhile, you got these wise men traveling on these camels, dress funny, talk funny, probably smell, right? Hundred, uh, 900 to 1,000 miles. And they get to Jerusalem and they think it's done. They think it's done. And they, they found out by King Herod, listen, it's Bethlehem you're looking for, not Jerusalem. And at this point, You think of how they would have been. Like, man, we've been following this sign for 900 miles, 18, 24 months. I haven't seen my family. The food is better out east. The food here in Jerusalem, it stinks. No one likes it. What if we're wrong? Have we wasted our time? Like, we thought when we got to Jerusalem, the Savior was going to be here. Should Should we just stop? I mean, there's been so much, I mean, it's been such a long time. It's been, uh, we're, we're running out of money, running out of time, we're running out of energy. Should we just stop? 
And is the Savior even going to be in Bethlehem? See, that's what they could have stopped, done. That's what they could have stopped. This is the point where they could have said, we're done. But they don't. They hear the news from Herod, and they head to Bethlehem. And I want to stop here. I think there's something I can preach. I think there's something we can reach and teach about here. Think about this season of life. Just this, this season right now. Think about all the distractions that distract us from focusing on Jesus. The lights. And again, none of these things by themselves are bad. We got lights. We got football. We got presents. We got family. We got food. We got, you know, Christmas trees. We got all these distractions. And what happens is we get so busy. This is a busy time of the year. So we start stacking our calendar. We got this and this and this and this and this and this. We get so busy and busy, 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 busy. We get so distracted. And, and these wise men's distractions are they're traveling, money, energy, time, effort, right? They're in, the, they're in Jerusalem and not Bethlehem. And, and they could have gotten easily distracted. But me and you, we get easily distracted. They did not. How many of you, just raise your hand for me, are easily distracted? Right, I know I am. I'm going to be honest. I am so easily distracted. Like if you watch the way I write a sermon every week, you would think I was crazy. You're like, how in the world do you ever put a sentence together? I do not know. That is the answer, right? But I am so easily distracted. And just last week proved this at my household. Whitney said my least favorite words in my, our entire marriage, babe, I need help with the Christmas decorations. Right? My least favorite words. And, and so what I do is I kind of I rig the system a little bit. I, uh, we have a basement, and, and so what we do is I bear hug the Christmas tree as much as I can, and I don't take it apart, don't take any ornaments off of it or lights. I just bear hug it and bring it down to the basement full every year. So I make it easier in my life. But, uh, so, but she needs two Christmas trees, and then she needs a bunch of other stuff, and then some years it has to be different colors. Like, I don't know. It all looks the same, right? But she, she wants to put it up. So... You know, my family's there doing that, and the baby's sleeping, and, and so I'm starting to do this, and like, I just wanted to watch college football, y'all. I didn't want to do anything with Christmas decorations. I did not care, but we had to, because apparently the baby's going to remember, right? She didn't remember nothing, but she's going to remember, right? So we got to do it. So, you know, you kind of use that card on me. I guess I have to do it. So uh, we're, we're moving this stuff up, and I told Whitney, hey, just wait upstairs. I'll, I'll take care of it. So I go downstairs in my basement, and I realize I bought a shop vac recently I haven't even used yet. And then I saw there was like some stuff on the floor. I'm like, I'm just going to shop vac that up real quick, right? So I brought like one little thing upstairs and then I get back downstairs. I'm shop vacing. And then about half an hour later, I'm still shop vacing. And Whitney comes downstairs and I kid you not, I don't know why I did this. I am on my knees. I am shop vacing a yoga mat because there's so much dust on it from the basement, right? So like, and I never get the Christmas decorations up until she comes to, you know, it's just a mess, right? They're all up now. You can come check it out, right? And she can be happy, right? But it just reminds me, like, that's how we live. We get so distracted. And, and it's not just this, this season, but we get distracted in, in life. And all of these distractions, what do they do? They keep us from pursuing Jesus. They stop us from pursuing Jesus. And Satan wants nothing more in your life because we believe in a real enemy. Satan wants nothing more for you in your life to be distracted. One of his number one instruments he uses is distractions. Because when you're distracted, here's what happens this holiday season, this Christmas season. He's like, well, I got, the, I got the presents, I got the lights, I got the, you know, decorations, I got, I got the, you know, the games. You start stacking things, right? And then you put, you, what you do, what you find most important is what you spend most time on. Okay, so here's what happens. It's like, all of a sudden, sports games take a long time with your kids. Or, you know, decorating takes a long time. Or cooking takes a long time. 
and you start spending time on that. And then what we do is we say, okay, on December 24th, at 4.30 until 5.30, I will focus all my attention on the birth of Jesus. And we miss it. Because we've been through it so much, right? And, and we get so distracted. And, and here's what I believe. I, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. There, there's one way. I, I believe that there is no name under heaven where you can be saved except Jesus. And I, I believe Hebrews 11.6 where it basically says this, that God rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Earnestly seek after him. That's a continuation phrase. They're continually doing this. They earnestly seek after him. And what you have in the wise men isn't just these goofy guys riding on camels bringing gifts. You got these men who are, who are earnestly seeking after Jesus. No matter what it took. And for you and I in our life, in the time we live in, and, and this season can remind us of this. There's going to be a question you have to answer. Am I going to pursue Jesus no matter what it takes? And that's not just one time. It's not this, just this one action. It's this continual action. Am I going to continue to pursue Jesus? Am I going to continue to live the way he calls me to? Am I going to continue to love people? Am I going to continue to forgive people? Am I going to continue to show grace? Am I going to continue to bring light into the darkness? Am I going to continue to do this? Or, because you either do that or you do the other option. Am I going to pursue Jesus no matter what it takes? Or am I going to quit? Because there's no in-between. We, we just went through an entire series about that. There's no in-between. Am I going to pursue Jesus no matter what it takes? Or am I going to quit? Because I think what you have here is a story of a bunch of men who pursued Jesus to the, the ends of their ancient world, risking everything because they realized how important it was that this prophecy was true. And in our faith, I think your faith starts to grow when you start to get uncomfortable. Man, you become better at something when you start to get uncomfortable. Because tell me the last time you were uncomfortable and I'll tell you the last time you grew. Basketball practice or football practice or sports practice, the last time you were truly uncomfortable at practice was probably the last day you got, truly got better. When you're working out, when you're lifting or you're running and, and, and you know, you're sore the next day or, or you're really straining, it's uncomfortable, you don't know if you can get the weight or you're running a distance and you don't know if you can make it, that's probably the last time you grew. The last time in your faith when, when God called you to do something and you had to take, take a leap, that's probably the last time you grew. And we have these men who are willing to leave their comfort zones behind because they're pursuing Jesus no matter what it took. I, I kind of pictured this this week. Uh, growing up by Northern Illinois, uh, I always heard of two athletes. Of course, you hear about Michael Jordan, okay? You guys all know where I stand on that, so we're not going to get into it. And then you heard about Walter Payton. Walter Payton, arguably the greatest running back of all time. Nicknamed Sweetness. Anybody remember watching him play? Right? He was, it, it, there was nothing sweet about his playing style. What I loved about Walter Payton in, in high school, I read one, one of the few books I read, it was his biography. It, it was called Never Die Easy, and it talked about the way he lived life, but also talked about how he ran the ball. And Walter Payton had this motto that every time he touched the ball, he was going to run in such a way that he thought he was going to score a touchdown. Every time. So if you go watch his highlights, right, and, and you look at him, you see that he doesn't run out of bounds. That when 
when he sees a defender, what he does is he lowers his shoulder. He says, I'm going to run right through you. I'm going to run right through you. And if you're not ready to get hit, I'm going to run you to the ground. He ran every play like he's going to score a touchdown. I mean, this guy it was amazing. And he's like, I'm never going to die easy. I'm never going to take the easy way out. I'm going to run through him. And he played for some awful, awful, awful Chicago Bears teams. He's like, I am going to run like I'm going to hit the goal line every single time. Good running backs run. Like every time they touch the ball, they're going to score. And I, and I just imagine these wise men who are, are pursuing Jesus through all this distraction, all this chaos. And you're like, you know what? We're not stopping until we cross the goal line. What's the goal line? Until we get to Jesus. And that's what we learned from them this year. So I want to say this in this part, lesson one. Don't let whatever your Jerusalem is, distractions, busyness, addictions, chaos, fa family drama, get in the way of you getting to Bethlehem, Jesus. So the journey continues, and this is what happens at the end of the journey. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Remember that. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Lesson number two. Let your pursuit lead to worship. Let your pursuit lead to worship. Worship was the reason they were taking this journey to begin with. It says they got to Mary's they got to Mary and they saw this child, right? This young child. Notice it doesn't say baby, it says young child because that journey took 18 to 24 months. And what do they do? It says well one, they were overjoyed. When was the last time you were overjoyed? To get to church. When was the last time you were overjoyed to stand up and sing worship songs? Who cares if you don't like it? When was the last time you were overjoyed to do that? When was the last time you were overjoyed to sit down and pray? When was the last time you were overjoyed to worship Jesus? See, these men are overjoyed because they're in the, they know they're about to be in the presence of the Savior. So they're overjoyed. And, and they get to him. What does it say they do? It says they bowed down. Grown men... And this culture did not bow down except for two reasons. When they were in the presence of royalty, because they would have to or they would be killed, or they were in the presence of what they thought that was their God. Right? And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I drive five, five hours, I get a little sore in the car. If I'm driving 900, you know, if I'm riding 900 miles on a camel, first of all, I have really lost my way in life. Second of all, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get off that camel and bow. But these men bow. And this bowing, the posture says it all. It was their way of saying, Jesus, all that I have, all that I am, belongs to you. Belongs to you. All that I have, Jesus, you are it. We follow this sign and you are the Savior. And they're, they're what they're admiring or they're worshiping is a baby, is a child. Think about that. Jesus never preached a sermon yet. Jesus hadn't, you know, cast out a demon, hadn't healed anybody, hadn't died on the cross, hadn't rose, risen from the dead. All they knew is that this baby was a sign that God has promised that he would save the world through. In 2021, we have this great privilege in history. We know what Jesus said. We know what Jesus did. We know he died on the cross. We know he rose from the grave. And we know that one day he's going to return. And we can, we should, the Bible says we should continually seek and seek him earnestly. But as we're seeking and we're living out this life and, and we're going to church and, and we're reading scripture and we're praying, don't forget to worship. Our pursuit of Jesus, Jesus should leave us in the posture of worship because we're realizing we're in the presence of the Savior who deserves our praise and worship. 
So that's lesson number two. Lesson number three, let your worship lead to giving your treasure. Why the wise men are, are known, what they're known for is they give three gifts. Does anybody know what those gifts are? All right, good, easy. Four of you knew that. Congratulations. All right, thank you. All right, but we know they gave gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They got there and they gave their gifts. It says this. I love how Matthew put it. He doesn't say when they got there, they gave their little gift exchange. No, he doesn't say that, right? He says when they got there, they, they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures and presented them the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This idea in the Greek of treasures, meaning they they gave lavishly. It was giving something that was very, very generous. And they gave three gifts. Here's what they gave. They gave gold. This is so cool. These gifts actually represent something. Gold represents kingship. That Jesus is the king of the kings, the savior of the world. Frankincense, right? It, It would be... Frankincense would be like incense, but priests would use it for sacrifices or, or festivals or holidays, right? Or ceremonies. So it represents Jesus' priesthood. In Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is the ultimate high priest, right? And, and then myrrh. Myrrh was weird, right? So if you're registering for babies, you're not putting myrrh on there. You might put some gold. Or you might, if you're kind of strange, you might put frankincense on there. But you will never put myrrh on there. Myrrh was used for dead bodies, right? It was embalming fluid on dead bodies. What does that represent? It represents that Jesus is our substitute. It's foreshadowing to the cross that Jesus would ultimately die for us. So they brought these three gifts. But the best gift I believe they brought is something we don't often talk about. What was the best gift they brought that night? They brought themselves. They pursued the king. They worshiped the king. And they gave their treasure, their ultimate treasure themselves. For some of us, our treasures this season, give your time to people. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's our availability. Give those things to people. Give those things to God. But the best treasure you can bring to Jesus is to give him our lives. These men came from the east not worshiping Jesus. And they came worshiping and they left worshiping. They brought their gifts. And the story kind of continues that Herod, instead of going back to King Herod, they, they, they go another way home and marry Joseph and Jesus. They escape and go to Egypt because Herod wants to kill them. But what we see with these wise men is there's these lessons. But it ultimately reminds us, and when you think of these guys, you often think of gifts, and that this is the season of giving. And I want to end with this, this idea. Jesus is a gift that God gives to us. And now you have an option how you'll respond. And as the worship team comes up, I'll tell you these three options. Because you see them in this story. King Herod, that's one option. King Herod heard about Jesus being born. What did he do? All he could think about was was himself and he was resistant to it because he wanted to be king. The chief priest and Herod's men, they heard about it, they knew about it, but what was their reaction? Indifference, I don't care. Then you got the wise men. What did they do? They pursued So as we go into this season, here's what I want to end with. Bring yourself, bring your worship, give your life to the King of Kings. That's what this season's about. Bring yourself to Jesus. Bring your worship. Let your pursuit lead you to worship. Give your life, not just to the season, but give your life to the King of Kings. Because he was the Savior. He was the sign that God said, I will use this child to bless the world. And whoever puts their faith in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray.
God, we are so thankful for your gift. We're so thankful for the gift we are undeserving of. God, and, and we're thankful for that promise that if we put our faith in Jesus, that we will have eternal life and we will not perish. So, Father, if there's anyone here today who wants to have a conversation about giving their life to you, giving their life to the King of Kings, Father, meet us back by the double doors here, and we would love to have a conversation. Father, but today we're going to leave with the posture of the wise and we're going to leave with a heart of worship. So as we continue to worship God, please fill us with your spirit and let us know your presence is with us today. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSCC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.